people are annoyed because they think the, the people that invested have been burnt and then you've just bought the business back. At that point, shit was real. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a fucking nightmare. It's not, it, it's absolutely horrible. It's the most vulnerable I've ever been in my life. You know, and th- th- this is actually the first time I spoke about it. What's the truth? Yo. Thank you, uh, thanks for being here. Fairly last minute. I, uh, I've just got back from New York and I was thinking, I'm coming to Manchester. I want to make the most use of my time in this city. And you are one of the, the more, if you don't mind me saying, one of the more famous, renowned, um, young entrepreneurs here. Do, building an incredible business in an incredible way with an incredible reputation. So um, I thought I would call on you to have this conversation with you. Uh, I think there's a huge amount of things that will relate on I, I hope there's some things that we have different views on as well but um, I'm sure that's definitely going to be the case 100% but thank you so much for, for, for coming yeah Especially thank you for having me on last minute um, here's where I want to start in and I do this sometimes as a challenge in 30 seconds can you tell me Luke Massey's story from now from birth till now and the reason I do this is because I think it helps um, filter out the moments that are of most significance. Do you reckon you're up for that challenge? Of course, always. Okay, so I'm going to stick 30 seconds on the clock. Yeah, cool. Um, so young lad, born in Preston, uh, one of five. Um, grew up uh, in a council estate. Um, father wasn't around. Um, been through school, went to college, didn't go to university. Set up first business, um, set up another business, set up another business. Constantly challenged. Um, favorite sayings, why not? Um, came across a big industry. I'm now challenging the big operators in that space um, and day to day asking, why not? Perfect. Exactly 30 seconds. Tell me about that first business. Uh, so, my first business was a company called Mortgage Claims Direct, right. um, which, believe it or not, had nothing to do with mortgages. How old are you? Uh, so, I was 17 when I founded uh, the company. So, the company came about, I was at Cardinal Newman College. Right. In my first year of, of doing my A-levels, so I was doing my AS. Mm-hmm. Um, based in Preston, and uh, that was nine to four every day. I was there five days a week. The college was? Yeah, right. so I was doing uh, economics, finance, and, and sport, actually, at the time. And um, I was working at a law firm part-time in the evenings to make some money. Mm-hmm. So I used to finish at four and then run around the corner to start um, work at half four till half eight every night. I'm going to... Sorry to interrupt that. Yeah. Why? So um, I needed to make money. Um, so Why? my mum is unemployed, has been ever since I was young. Mm-hmm. Um, even when I was at school, I was making money buying and selling sweets. Mm-hmm. Um, I needed to make some cash to even just go out with my friends at the weekend. I've always been that person. Um, so I've always made money, whether it was a milk round, whether it was a paper round, whether it was buying and selling sweets, etc. So even though I was at college, I didn't see that as an opportunity not to make cash. Do you think... If you if you you said your dad wasn't around, yes, for a, for a number of years, yeah. Um, do you think if your dad had been around and your mum had been employed, you would be who you are today? Uh, well, probably not. Um, I think my outlook on things would be different. I think my attitude towards challenges would be different. I <laughs> think um, you probably get hardened all the time to to, to challenges, and uh, I think that starts at a very young age. I think. In an isolation, I think being an entrepreneur, you come across challenges every single day. I think most people would crumble at those challenges mm-hmm. because, you know, the big decisions that you're making have, have not just happened here and it happens right now. It's This is, you know, combined over, you know, five years, 10 years, whatever it may be. So, mm-hmm. yeah, going back to the first business, it was um, 
I was working on on the phones at a law firm, but mm-hmm. there was actually a part of the law firm which was a, a lead generation um, arm to the business. Um, and basically, I was the annoying young lad at seventeen, ringing up asking if you'd been uh, missed sold PPI. Oh, yeah. um, but it was at a time when the banks hadn't lost, so yeah. every every person we were calling would convert sort of one in twenty, right. and it was really hard. It was really hard work. And then something happened: the banks had lost. Mm-hmm. It was now legal that the banks had had to repair people that had been missed sold PPI. It was mm-hmm. you know one of the biggest scandals ever. Mm-hmm. And um, our conversion rate went from 1 to 20 to literally 50%. Every mm-hmm. other person I was calling, we got a hit. So I managed to save up £3,000 and thought, I can do this myself. It's an unregulated business. The mm-hmm. barriers to entry are so low. We don't have to be a solicitor firm. Mm-hmm. We can be a lead generation and, 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 and act on behalf of our clients. Mm-hmm. We keep 25% of the money that's, that's come back. It was a brilliant model. So... Um, I created my own script. I convinced two of the, the top girls to come and work for me. I said, I've just raised this this investment. I managed to um, lie to a landlord in Preston, got an office space. Uh, I was meant to be 18 to get a tenancy. Set up this call center and called it Mortgage Claims Direct. And the reason for that is the, one of the biggest challenges I had at the law firm was when I was ringing up calling from a PPI company, they didn't give me a chance. Sure. Whereas if I was calling from Mortgage Claims Direct, a mortgage is really important to everyone. Mm-hmm. They give me at least 30 seconds on the phone, which allowed me... You know, mm-hmm. that foot through the door and we saw that our conversion was much higher than everyone else's. So the three grand I had, I worked out that I had basically six weeks worth of money. Mm-hmm. You know, I was paying these women full time whilst I was still at college doing my, my A-levels. And, um, you know, I still to this day, you know, I'm fortunate enough for it, but the we ran out of cash. Mm-hmm. And for two weeks I had to say to these women, this investor's waiting to send the check to me, etc. You know, yeah, I was, I, the, the, the money's coming in. And uh, fortunately enough, some of the claims started to come in, which gave me ca- uh, cash flow. Um, so we managed to scale that business to 12 staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sold the business for £94,000 a week before my 18th birthday, which sort of set the ball in motion, nice. which is, wow, you know, there's the, the, there's ways to make cash here. So It's incredible. They're running a business at 17 years old where you have 12 staff. It's pretty, pretty incredible. I genuinely, I worked in call centers from 16 to 20, from 16 to 20, roughly, for about 16 to 19 years old. And I genuinely think the call center experience is one of the most valuable... 100% um, agree where you're going with this. Valuable valuable skills I developed. Being a 16-year-old, calling up people at random, out the blue at 9 a.m. at night, trying to sell them double glazing, or fascia boards, or conservatories, really teaches you something which becomes a real valuable, transferable skill as an entrepreneur. Completely agree. And it also sets you up for one of the biggest things in life that people don't like, which is failure, mm-hmm. which is that... You know, uh, stepping out of your comfort, comfort zone, picking up the phone, speaking to a stranger, mm. that is real life. And, you know, I, I talk about this a lot, but call centers are the, are the modern day workshops. They, they are mm. the modern day factories. And if, 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 yeah, if you think about everything that requ- requires mastery, it's a, pra- it's a process of like practice makes perfect. So like David Beckham, he learns to do amazing free kicks by co- continually kicking the ball at the net for years and years and years. And if you think about what call center work is, you sit there, you pick up the phone, you try, you learn, oh shit, that didn't work with that type of person. Yeah. 10 seconds down, you know, the phone is down. 10 seconds later, the phone is back up, you're trying again. I think there's a huge element of self-awareness though to that. Um, When I would call, I knew that the likelihood of someone buying from me based on how I looked was very, very low. Yeah. I knew that if I was a Steve or a Steven, it made a huge difference. I knew if I was, you know, more articulate and, um, you know, th- those little things, but also... Personal, yeah. Yeah, I think self-awareness is a tremendous thing. And I think self-awareness is something you can't teach. Yeah. Understanding what people think of you. Um, so anyway, moving on. So you, you did that. You sold the business. You're 18 years old. What happens next? 
Made a few mistakes. Um, went, mistakes. went and bought a car that I shouldn't Spend have done. RS5, nice. um, a thousand pound a month car insurance. Really? Um, and, and you know, still then going back to see my mum in a council estate. Um, yeah. Wasn't the best decision. Uh, also, sort of gets the wrong wrong attention. You mm-hmm. know, I think at the end of the day, looking back now, it's a really poor decision at the time. It was I always wanted that car. I went into Audi. You know, and and it, for me, it was my money. I've made it that sort of thing. But that that money could have been used a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, but those those are mistakes that I made at an early stage, which meant I've not had to go and do those now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, um, and then yeah. I also started to invest in other businesses. Mm-hmm. Friends had come up to me with an idea of a, a loft converting business, for example. So I invested in Preston loft conversions. And I thought that if I could invest little bits of capital into um, three or four businesses, that that would generate me, that would generate me twenty, thirty thousand pound a year per business, and I wouldn't have to work again. And mm-hmm. and it was that because I'd had one success, I thought that would work for everything else. And that was a, another huge mistake, which is you can't spread yourself too thin, but at the same time. Stick to what you know. Don't go into markets that you don't know about. So where did Vibe come in? Um, so Vibe was founded when I was 20 years old, but it, it, it wasn't a business. Um, so people talk about Vibe was founded in 2013. It's five years old. Yes, it was formed in uh, five years ago. That's because I uh, incorporated the name. Mm-hmm. I knew it was a very, very good brand at the time, but I didn't know what it was. So um, uh, I had four tickets to see Ed Sheeran that I bought on my card. Mm-hmm. Uh, we bought, um, for me and my friends, we bought um, four tickets, £100 each. Mm-hmm. They gave me the cash, I put it in my bank, and I made the, the purchase for these tickets. Something came up in the social calendar, which meant we couldn't, we couldn't go to the, to the event, and um, my mates were asking for the cash back, basically. So uh, I went to Google, typed in selling tickets, and um, there was a number of sites that offered me the option to sell these tickets. There was Get Me In, Viagogo, mm-hmm. Seatwave, StubHub. It was a pretty crowded market, you know, they were all offering the same service for the same fees, etc. But the the problem I had as a consumer at the time was two, well, two major problems. First of all, they all charged me a selling fee. Sure. So in order for me to get the £400 back, I had to list them at 500 And knowing at the other end there was a buyer going to pay a fee as well, I just didn't think that was morally right. But if I'm being completely honest with everyone, the biggest issue I had with it was that uh, all these sites would only pay me the money after the event because they right. wanted to control the process. Now, what 20-year-old lad can afford to give their mates back £100 each and wait yeah. for six months? Yeah, yeah. It just wasn't feasible. So I thought, you know, this is, this is shit. Uh, went to Twitter, you know, anyone at our age, when they've got a problem, goes and rants about it. I tweeted the fact that I had four tickets to see Ed Sheeran, hashtag Manchester, hashtag Ed Sheeran. And literally within sort of four or five minutes, there was genuine Ed Sheeran fans tweeting me. Mm-hmm. Hi, Luke, I'll take the tickets. They could see that I was a real person. Mm-hmm. They could see that I invested in my Twitter profile. So I got chatting to one genuine Ed Sheeran fan. I tweeted him, the uh, screenshotted him my confirmation of purchase, mm-hmm. shared with him my PayPal details so he could send me money as a, as a stranger and it would be covered. And uh, I managed to get my money back within 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And it was at that time where I, I questioned, as I always have in life, you know, my why, is, um, you know, there was a need here on a buyer and a seller's part, mm-hmm. but the current operators in the space weren't fulfilling that need for either of us. Mm-hmm. So I started questioning, you know, if I've done this, surely there's other people doing it. So I started using things like TweetDeck and, and, and checking how many tweets there were. Mm-hmm. And just on Twitter alone, there was between 15 and 25 million tweets a month with the keywords need tickets, want tickets, spur tickets. Mm-hmm. So that's when the light bulb moment happened for me, which is if I can replicate what I've done, mm-hmm. then I can help thousands of people. So we set up basically the hashtag good vibes. And that's how Vibe was born. Uh, mm-hmm. Vibe tickets was a free resource. 
anyone who wanted a ticket or had a spare ticket would tweet us and we'd just retweet it. Mm-hmm. And um, within the first six months, we grew to 60,000 followers. We then grew to 100,000 followers. And this was a, you know, an amazing time for us because we had people from the industry itself, from Ticketmaster, using our hashtag and using our, our, our Twitter right, handle. Right. And it was insane. And that's how I actually met my first investor who basically used Twitter to sell some Formula One tickets and right. was like, I want to know who this lad is behind this account because he's just saved me a fortune. This sure. is such a good idea. So you, um, so at some stage you think I'm going to make, turn this into a, a company and an app? Um, well, again, I didn't. I, the idea was planted in my head, so um, completely randomly, but the, the guy who ended up being my first investor said to me, um, Matt Nguyen, um, said to me, this is really cool. Wouldn't it be brilliant if every time someone tweeted you, you made a pound? So at the time, just to give you an idea of figures, it was just me in my bedroom, but we were doing between three and 5,000 tweets a day, mm-hmm. retweets, like connecting people. And just to give you an idea of volume, that's probably between three and five million pounds worth of tickets every single day. Mm-hmm. So we were, we were causing nuisance in, in the resale market because the, the big four resale of spending money on user acquisition, on SEO, on, uh, on PPC, to try and get people to these sites. And, and we're just taking it all on, on social because we removed those barriers to entry. We mm-hmm. just wanted to connect those people. So it was at that time that, uh, you know, this guy who was obviously a lot older than me, a lot more savvier than me, sort of presented this idea. And that's when I thought, ah, a marketplace. So it's brilliant that all these people are using Twitter, but A, I don't own the customer. Mm-hmm. B, I can never monetize this. Mm-hmm. And C, if I'm going to build something of value and I want to pivot and change the product, I'm going to have to own it myself. Mm-hmm. And that's when, um, you know, I went back to him with a business idea and said, look, I've listened to what you've said. You've planted this idea in my mind. I can't get it out of my head now. I think I can build a Vibe community. And uh, that's when the, you know, the idea of Vibe came about. And I, I wrote my first business plan as such. And, and, and on that day, he wrote me a check for £200,000. A, a physical check? A physical check for £200,000. He said, will this be enough to get you on your way? So you, you, you make this uh, MVP, this kind of like you know, minimal viable product to prove the concept. And then you raise, do you raise again? Yeah, we, we carried on raising. But I mean... This is another thing that uh, people ask me about. How do I raise capital? Our MVP was the Twitter account. Mm-hmm. We could prove that even though we didn't have a product, that thousands of people were using this as a genuine alternative. Yeah, I guess you can prove the the, the need. Yes. Right? Then there's like, you've got to prove the execution. Yes. Of the, the idea, right? So, And this is where I think for anyone who's listening who's trying to raise capital really needs to consider this because the amount of people that come to me asking for investment from myself or access to my investors um, you know, are typically raising between 100,000 and 200,000 and when I actually ask them why mm-hmm. why are you raising this money nine times out of ten it's to prove this idea that I've got in my head mm-hmm. when they could actually go and prove the idea that they've got in their head without the 200,000 pounds or without the mm-hmm. 100,000 pounds they could create a Facebook group or they could create a Twitter account and just prove mm-hmm. the need mm-hmm. and then it's a different scenario which is look I've already demonstrated the need I now just need capital to make this happen mm-hmm. so here's the thing so um, you start uh, and I my first company was like a tech company mm-hmm. I, very very interesting a lot of the sort of parallels between it because I realised the need was there um, one of the ways I, I realized the need was there was when we created a Facebook group that did the same thing. It was so active. It was so active, in fact, that I knew that if this Facebook group um, was a website and I owned it, it would probably be worth hundreds of millions of pounds at scale. So if we took it to more universities, yep. the Facebook group was just for Manchester. So I tried to create the website, it didn't work, whatever. But um, one of the things that I learned from running a tech company was that like money runs out quick. And Very quick, one of yeah. the One of the interesting things is, especially when it's like a pre-revenue tech company, as a founder, you look at the bank account and you know, it's like an hourglass. The more time that passes, the lower this number gets. Yeah. 
And, and it's almost, in some respects, like a bit of a runway. This aircraft has got to take off before the end of the runway. Yeah. Or, and, if, and if it doesn't, it falls off the fucking runway. Yeah. Investment, what it does is it extends, extends the, runway, yeah. the length of the runway, but because it increases the overheads, it increases the speed of the aircraft. Yes. So the aircraft's now just going faster down yep. the fucking runway. There's more overheads, right? Yeah. So um, how does that feel as a tech founder dealing with that, like, constant ticking down of the bank balance? How have you dealt with that? Very, very good question, Steve. And um, no one asked this question. So no thank you for asking. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, so first of all, in the first year, it's, 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 it's terrifying. You know, you, you, you're on, you think you're onto something. Um, you've now brought these people in. They've bought into the vision. You've convinced people who have got families and dependents to come and join this operation and come and you know join this vision. But you also know that it's part of your strategy to actually make a, a, an impact in the industry by going in with this different monetization model. So, you know, for, for people that don't understand Vibe is that not only is our offering different as a product, but our commercial model is different as well to the industry, which is we completely separate ourselves from resale. We're offering a different alternative. So, um, yeah, you know, the first year for me was, was turbulent. It was so hard to, to get in my head that I'm going to have to keep going out and raising capital here and, 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 and trying to pivot and trying to understand where we're going to generate re uh, revenue. And, you know, I sat down and, and we built a very, very good advisory board and, you know, a huge influence on that was Richard Branson w without sort of trying to bring him into the story. It, you know, he, he was one that said, you've got to look at this bigger picture. If this is your game plan, you need to make sure that it's part of your strategy and you execute very, very well. And you met him on, um, was it Virgin's Pitch to Rich competition? Yes, Virgin's Pitch to Rich competition. So I was down in London. Um, Did you I, win that? Uh, yeah, so, with, well, no, I was actually uh, a finalist. Right. Uh, we won, won capital, but... Richard then uh, singled me out and identified me, you know, someone that he wanted to mentor and mm -hmm. been to his house several times, spent, you know, time with him on, on that. And I think he saw what I was trying to do with Vibe as a challenger brand and the world against it. And you were doing what good did with, the world as well, which is in line with... Exactly. You know, we're trying to build something that's right. You know, mm -hmm. we, you know pe people all the time uh, question Vibe's model. I could tell you right now that if I turned on monetization tomorrow and charged for this service, we would be profitable within six weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's not the right thing to do. Um, so we're going about it a different way. And, you know, the, the, the external pressures that it's very, very difficult to stay strong to what you, you're trying to achieve and what the strategy is. There was three finalists. We all won cash. And then McReba, the Plastic Roads guy, ended up winning the actual competition. What did but, they win? Um, I think he won more cash, more cash um, right. and some prizes from JC Decor, right. some of the partners, etc. Um, that is a fantastic business, by the way. Um, Toby's a, a brilliant founder, so he was, a, he, he was definitely a deserved winner. And he is making a, a global impact to, to plastic, so fair play to him. Um, but yeah, the following day, Richard invited him to his house. Fucking hell. I think he just liked vibe. Well, yeah, um, and, and it was at that point where Richard Branson said to me, look, Luke, vibe isn't a ticketing business. Mm -hmm. Don't think of it as a ticketing business. You're in the business of connecting people mm -hmm. and data is your currency. Right. And that's when things click for me, which is, okay, how I've been packaging Vibe, how I've been selling Vibe, how I've been trying to convince people, it has to change. Mm -hmm. Vibe is about removing those barriers and it's about challenging any company that deliberately positions itself to exploit the customer. Mm -hmm. That's where Vibe can go as a brand. And that really started to excite me, but also the investors that I'd previously visited, which was, look, you've been thinking about Vibe as a ticketing business. The industry is very, very competitive. Um, it's going to be difficult to demonstrate a, a model that's going to work. How about looking at this from this position? And that's when the real cash started coming in. But how is it? So go back to the question, like how, how is it being 
a tech founder who is presumably always raising money. Like, or even when you raise, you, you close a raise, you have to then basically start thinking about the next raise again, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. So how, what is it, what I'm trying to get at is like, I understand from my perspective what it's like, especially as a startup, in, in our first year, our bank account just went one way, right? Yeah. Um, but what is what? What does that feel like on a day-to-day basis? What? How does that impact your life? What you know? Do you come to peace with the idea that? As I um, said, I think you need, you need to you need to accept that th- this this is the strategy and this is what we're playing for, and and you do it right. You know, the model that Vibe's doing isn't new. What impact has it had on you, though? It's very very stressful, and um, but you've got to take that burden on as a founder. I think. How has it changed you on a personal level? How is Luke different because of those things? now than he was three years ago wow that's a really good question um this is what we're going to do on this podcast by the way this yeah like, no that's a really good question and Pinsel knows <laughs> i've answered that and that's probably because you're you're a founder yourself i think um it's made me so vibe's been in positions where you know we've got 20 odd staff there's there's 80k about to go in where you know whatever and we won't go into details but the burn rates you know chugging on you've got three days of capital left mm. and it's like you've got investors there and, and they're riding on the their investors you know they're waiting to get to a point where it's best to negotiate their position of course. but you be, you become hardened to it and i think um you then start understanding things from a, a different perspective and what you've got to do is you've got to take the emotion out of it you've got to take mm. the these guys are trying to screw me away you've got to take the emotion out of i'm really worried about everything else you've got to go Look, this this is the get this is the product this is how we're doing things this is why we're so successful and the alternative is turn on monetization and slow growth or mm-hmm. turn on monetization and go out against everything you've said mm-hmm. and force something mm-hmm. stick true to what you have and it'll come good and 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 that's the only advice i can sort of give to people that are, are embarking in, on it in your first two years um what was your worst moment your your toughest moment let's say the moment you thought maybe not the toughest moment for you but the, the moment which most people would consider the toughest so for us it was probably when one day on in on the way to work 6am in the morning we get hacked and someone emails one of our clients really personal abusive things we lose all of our clients there's 70 people here they lose all their clients so we know we've got no money but and the the, the sort of cherry on the top of that cake was that it was our team building day so everyone was on their way to paintballing we pulled up at paintballing on my way there at 6am i start getting calls our investors have received personal abuse from our from our email address Um, and getting there and telling having to tell the whole company to turn around we're going home and we're going back to the office there's no clients there they're all wearing their like track suits and stuff are sitting on the desks them seeing me in the glass room like on the phone just to all these brands, yeah, just like these brands trying telling to save me that it. I'm a fucking bullshit. What was your your toughest moment in the first two years? Um, probably, well, it, it's it's happened over over the course of it, but I, th- I think the, the the hardest thing for me has been thinking that something was when it wasn't, and what I mean by that is is quite publicly recently there's been uh, a situation with Vibe where I was backed into a corner by mm-hmm. someone who was my mentor, someone who did write my first investment check and you know I signed my first shareholders agreement age 20 raised his capital and at the time didn't take independent legal advice and throughout that period I've thought that something was that it wasn't so let's give that context then so recently in the press as some people would have seen there was a story the headline is um vibe tickets go um vibe tickets goes into administration bought back by the founder yeah so you're well known for raising from the crowd yeah so you I'm not familiar with the pro- the process completely, but from what I understand, that this is a, a platform. I think it's Crowdcube. Yes, we use Crowdcube once. Yeah. So, I, I'm, are you going to have to correct me on all these yeah, things? No, it's but good. just from the external perception, it's quite good to um, start there with the with the ignorance. Um, 
it, you raised on Crowdcube, you raised from other investors as well. The business goes under. This is just a public perception based yes. on press. Um, it says Luke Massey has bought the business back. People are annoyed because they think the, the people that invested have been burnt and then you've just bought the business back. Yes. What's the truth? Um, so basically what happened was we had um, a sort of very difficult um, structure in the old company. Um, and again, touching on that, and without going into the, the sort of specifics of the details, but we had a very, very restrictive uh, shareholders agreement, which meant that I couldn't um, take on new capital or I couldn't take on new debt without investor director consent, which meant I constantly had to go back to a person to, to get to get their consent to do something. And it got to a stage where, again, come, you know, we had agreement on the table for more capital to come in. And, you know, it, there was a, a situation that was engineered, which meant mm-hmm. that it was favorable to that one person who was holding the cards. And uh, it actually got to a point where the rest of the investors said, well, we're not continuing to invest in this vehicle mm-hmm. unless some of these documents are changed. Mm-hmm. And um, it then forced Vibe into a position where the company ran out of capital. The mm-hmm. company ran out of cash, which meant it was insolvent. Mm-hmm. And, and, and for those that don't understand that process, it means that once a company is declared insolvent, it means that as a director, I have a duty by law to think of creditors first not shareholders. Mm-hmm. And well, that was very, very difficult considering that I was the biggest shareholder and I was also one of the biggest creditors having put my director's loan in at the beginning. And, you know, people don't understand that. So um, I had to take the correct legal advice and I had to take the correct independent insolvency advice. And it was, it was told to me, look, if this company doesn't get um, capital very, very quickly, you know, the company's going to go under. So I went back to the, the, the shareholder base and, and asked for some uh, short-term capital until I could get this deal over the line. And the money wasn't forthcoming which meant that I had no other option. So the company was placed into administration and I wasn't willing to give up on this. Mm -hmm. There was no way. So I frantically ran around, put some uh, money together and put uh, a bid together to to the the independent valuers of the business to say, look, I'm the founder. I'm willing to take this on. Here's my um, offer to the business. And my offer was conditional. And it was, who it was, makes the decision? When so it's a, the, the insolvency practitioners, they put an independent value in. So they say, okay, we think this business is worth X um, and, and take everything into consideration. And it's, um, it, you know, it's, it's a vigorous process. And, and, you know. Sounds like a fucking nightmare. It's not, it, it's absolutely horrible. It's the most vulnerable I've ever been in my life because mm-hmm. I'm now not in control of my own company. And the, 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 you know, it could have easily been taken away from me because of this process. And, How did and, and for people to come out in the press to say that this was forced and this was, you know, no one would want to go down that process. If anyone's been through, never mind at the age I am, but no one would want to go down this process. How does but it feel? I was frustrated. I was angry. I was so close to coming out and saying, you know, you guys don't know what's happened. I've not even come out and made a public statement yet. But going back to what happened is, you know, my my offer was conditional and, and I went in with an offer and my offer was declined, my first offer. Mm-hmm. And I was so surprised that I couldn't understand. Surely I'm the only person that's tried to buy this business. And it became apparent that the one person that tried putting the company into administration had made a bid for my company. Mm-hmm. Now, people can take that however they want, but it, so it then, it then made been a very, very... original shareholders who had let the business go under also tried to um, buy it back. Not only that, this said person actually tried contacting key members of staff prior to it going into that. Now, this hasn't come out, this hasn't been uh, demonstrated because I don't want to go over the past, but... The situation that was portrayed so was the fact that the headlines... Contacting key members of staff as if to say, like, I'm going to buy this business and then I'm going to hire the people and then I'm going to run it myself type thing. You could take that, you know, how, yeah, however you want. No but comment, no Yeah, comment. exactly. Uh, you know, that's what that's the fact that people don't know about. So I've gone in with this offer. My offer's declined. 
couldn't believe it. We've had a significantly uh, larger offer, Mr. Massey. At that point, shit was real. Mm-hmm. This was th- this is it. Mm-hmm. I'm no longer in control of my company. Someone else is buying it. Mm-hmm. What can I do? So I sold some more personal assets. I sold some Bitcoin. I'm ringing around friends that I know, people that I can you know rely on. I said, look, I need to get more cash together to buy this business. Uh, I was told that I had two hours to improve my offer. My uh, script gave us some more cash and, and, and put my offer in. And my offer was conditional on, A, I took on the going concerns of the business, things like sales force that are operational to the, to, to, to the success of the business, but also that every single member of the staff was moved over. I didn't make one redundancy because my team was so important to me. The first priority I had to do was to save the company, to get the staff. So that, that very day, the transaction completed, Luke Massey buys the company back, okay? Mm. That same very day, because of one of my investors was on the stock market, they had to make an announcement to London Stock Exchange, mm. which then all the press got onto it. And the, the announcement to the stock exchange was just factual. The company went into administration, Luke's bought it back. Mm-hmm. So the the all not one media outlet in mm-hmm. the northwest rang me for a comment. They all just printed that the company's gone into administration. Luke Massey's bought it back. Mm-hmm. That was really disappointing for me because not one of them rung me up to ask for comment. Mm-hmm. Now, so 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 they this is, care, they, they? so they, well, this is now mm-hmm. spreading around Manchester, and, and you know the, the head the headline was true. The fact was true. Luke mm-hmm. Massey did buy the company. I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. But why and what's going to happen and what's happening next was never, never documented. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It shouldn't have been documented. At the end of the day, this, mm-hmm. this happens but because I've Val was a public company. I've got to be honest with you. First time I saw the headline, I think screen, someone sent me a screenshot. or a li- I probably got sent it, being honest with you, nine times in, in a very, in probably in the space of about seven days. Just like, because you know what this entrepreneurial community is like? People send stuff around. Yeah. And so the first thing I saw was, and I didn't read it properly because it was just, it was just a, something, a headline. The first thing you think, and because I've got like personal experiences of people doing this to screw me as well, was that the first thing you think is that the business has been flipped, you've shaken off people and debts, and you've started again and screw people. That's yep. what the headlines portray. Completely agree. But, and anyone, if you saw that for social chain, you'd think the same thing because yep. nobody, nobody knows you, your character. Yeah. They, they know the personal brand. They know the tweets, whatever. They don't know character. Yeah. Um, and that's the difficult bit is that... But then public. I changed... Once I, like, once I read, I actually took the time to read some things, I uh, very quickly realized what, what happened. Yeah. And understanding how shareholder agreements are written and the past, my own personal past... I completely understood. Yeah. And that's why I messaged you just to say, look, this No, I appreciate that. And, you know, for those listening, you, you know, you sent me a text just to, you know, keep your head up, Luke. These things happen, mm. you'll share it off. And, and to get that from a, a fellow, you know, in brackets, entrepreneur, mm. someone who's going through the challenges that you're going through, that 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 helped me through it. But, you know, again, it's, it's that, you're talking about character. I think that hurt me the most, which was mm. people are actually questioning your character. People are coming out and saying that, you, you know, you're screwing people over. And, this is the thing is once I'd saved the company and I know, okay, now I'm back in control of things. The first thing I did was pick up the phone to my lawyer and say, I want to give shares back to, to the crowd mm-hmm. out, of, out of my own shares because that, that's what I was going to do. That was the right thing. But before I could even come out and comment, first of all, I had to take the right tax advice because mm-hmm. what I didn't want to do was give shares to people and then they would, all be, tax, yeah. they, would all be, they would all be landed with a tax mm-hmm. bill. So I had to do things correctly. Mm-hmm. And, you know... When when I could announce it, I was relieved because I was like, "Look, guys, this is what I was trying to do." Mm-hmm. You know, you, you were all so quick to come out and judge, and you, you know they were just so quick to write the headlines. It was just in that moment I learned a lot. I learned a hell of a lot about 
how things are set up, how things are perceived, etc. What people want you tap in, like yeah, you, and you, I, you I, won't, I, I wouldn't like to say that people you know do want to see you fail, but oh evidence God. backs that up. Christ, you know, and that's the do. thing. And of course they do. You know, especially people that are in the local community who are trying to champion entrepreneurship. That's mm-hmm. really really bad. You know, at the end of the day, if this was to happen in the states. I guarantee that people would have been sending me very different messages and, the, just, you know, the press would have no, been let's different. Just, let's just take this down to the, the fundamentals. And, like, I, I genuinely believe, don't know if this is a good thing to say, don't care, um, I think 99% of human uh, agenda is selfish in some regard. So when you're winning, it's... Say you start winning, and I'm just Tom, Dick, and Harry watching, it's in, it's in my... Um, I'm incentivized, and it's in my... To my advantage, to to back you. Agreed. To align yourself with that success. And then when you fall, because you're you're joining me Mm. as someone that's not done anything, and it's also good, and it makes me feel good to watch you fall, and to also take the opposite side and say, "Oh, that prick, he fucking he fucked up." Have you seen that massive? Always knew. Always knew that was going to happen. That always happens. That's why I'm not doing it. You know, that's the same. It makes me feel good as a bystander to think, "Well, you know, I wasn't." Uh, inferior to Luke in fact in fact Luke was never going to succeed so we're all the same here do you know it's that kind yeah. of like it's the it's just the way you know people are chameleons and when agendas and motives change they change so. no exactly and, and this is the thing you know one of the disappointing things was the Sunday Times mm-hmm. um, wrote a piece uh, not last Sunday the Sunday before which was the first page of the business section really which was my face the image that was used yeah, the, the image that was used that went on all the billboards because I was the face of Voom and the headline was Branson's. You're joking, fa- yeah, the- yeah, exactly. Branson's favorite goes under. Really? Now, first of all, I haven't gone under. Second of all, I'm, I've acquired the business back, and things are actually fine. Mm-hmm. To the consumer, to a Vibe customer, they would never know what, what's actually going on. But because Vibe is such a public business in in this area, mm-hmm. and because you know, as you said, we've rightly raised capital, it was blown up. But for that to be such a personal headline. That was that was aimed at me. That, that's mm-hmm. me. That's not the Vibe Limited. I mean, bearing in mind we're separate entities. Mm-hmm. You know, that was that was quite hard. But it was but a lesson. Listen. It was it was a huge lesson for me. And, and I can't wait for the day that we get to that stage where that reporter's asking for comment, and I can go, no. Would you? I you don't think. Would you? I don't. I don't think I'd give him a comment. No, because he's betrayed me to be something that I'm not. And you know, where, where where was you? Where was my comment when you asked for what was going on? Because what he could have done, this is the, this is a real talking issue here. Is what he could have done is taken what's happened, painted a fur, uh, picture of what's happened, but then asked what I would would have done differently. And I, because this is an interesting story for the startup scene, which is not just from the uh, founder perspective, but also from the investor perspective. Because this could happen if you're too restrictive. This could happen if you force your founder into a corner. We'll find ourselves. We have to. So. There's lessons to be learned here from founders, which is make sure you get independent legal advice. And again, I don't want to go over the same points because it is what it is. You can make your own judgments on it. At the end of the day, Vibe's now looking forward and it's a positive road mm. for us. I really want to go back to that point about that reporter. That reporter calls you. Vibe's fucking taking over the world. I, I work for Vibe. Fucking everyone works for Vibe, right? He calls you, says, Luke, can I have a comment? Um, I honestly believe in that moment you should say to him, 100%. Yeah. Because that is that that is if 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 you walk around with that that grudge and that resentment to somebody who made a decision based on his own bullshit uh, defects and whatever his own agendas to make money and just to capitalize on a headline and get clicks or whatever and if you walk around with that grudge to that person I think you're losing still yeah no and do you know I what think, you know, I think one of the things because that, it's still raw because it's still raw 100%. because it's still raw and that's human, the thing you know? and th- th- this is actually the first time I've spoke about it you know yeah. th- I've made comments in, in, in I came out set the record straight I'm giving mm. my shares back to the crowd 
since then I've not said anything. I've just forgive cracked all, on. Forgive all these fuckers. Do you know? And that's the I, I've not said anything, and mm-hmm. I've got a business to focus on. I've got an incredible team. I've got an incredible opportunity here um, with the business. I've got super super supportive investors that have not just backed me, but they backed me through this whole process as well, and. You know, they're confident that I'm going to come through this as a stronger leader, but also Vibe is going to come through with this as a stronger, stronger business. And I generally do hope that in two, three years' time, I look back and and when people say, "What was the turning point?" It was mm. this. It was I had to, sh- you know, had to shake off that uh, negative, toxic cap. Mm. I, you know, the, the last six months of my life have been managing the investors, mm-hmm. not managing the business. Yeah, it became a business itself. It's, yeah. And and th- this is the problem. And you know, I've learned from that. At the end of the day naivety you know one of, one of the, the comments that was on linkedin was luke's younger naive because he's not come out and said something okay fine you can you, you can be entitled to that opinion i was younger naive at 20 mm. signing a shareholders agreement which pretty much meant that i couldn't make the decisions for on behalf of the company mm. the other thing is that you know that shareholders agreement was never challenged at any investment round i've ever been through including the crowdcube round who have their own lawyers looking at things so I, no alarm bell was ever raised for me that something's wrong here until the final raise when the company's run out of capital. What did, it, what did it feel like to go on the internet, log in, and see someone you don't know talking shit about you? Really tough, but not because of the talking shit about me. What was the worst thing you read? Um, Luke Massey had this planned all along. Really? As if this is like premeditated, I want to screw people. Mm-hmm. That is ridiculous. Bear in mind... Everyone's been giving shares back. Mm. You know, that's that's it. Um, uh, you know, apart from the guy that put the put, put us in this position anyway, and they're the very small few that were following him. So to have that, it was difficult. I mean, it was new ground. It was new territory for me because I've always been portrayed in, in, in the media as a good good guy doing the right things at the right this time. This is the thing, though. And, and, and then when it, when it was, you know, and, and that's... It, Does it not... Cut? So the thing is, the reason why that headline was written by the Sunday Times is presumably because... You're, as a brand, big and Vibe is big. And Vibe going under is not really a big, big, as big a story as, you know, connecting it to someone as big as Richard yeah. and then um, connecting it to yourself. Like, part of the, te- the, the danger, I guess, of building a, a personal brand where you're known as much as, just as much as your business is known is um, when you do, when things do go bad, you'll be fucking dragged into the pits. If nobody knew Luke Massey as an entrepreneur, there would be fucking no story there. Really, it would, there would really not be a story there. But if, if you think what people like is they like the 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 rise and the fall. They like to cover the Whitney Houston going to the top and then the you know the Michael Jackson falling. To, you know, that's do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it comes with it. It's one of the real dangers and one of the things that I'm quite scared about. I'm genuinely scared about with entrepreneurs building their personal brands is you will rise big. And I've seen this in, in entrepreneurs that I followed. You'll rise big and you'll rise young and you'll be clapped all the way up, right? And then they're waiting. The same motherfuckers are waiting to boo when anything goes wrong. And I've seen t- friends time after time, their companies go up and then down and, then, uh, and the impact it's had on some of them. And it's really fucking tough, like mental health issues, like especially the real young ones. I'm not talking about you because you're you're much more mature. Old now, aren't I? Old, old yeah. compared to some of these. Yeah, young some of these kids. I'm talking about 18 year olds, and I've literally got message from 18 year old kids asking me how they're meant to deal with this when they've gone bust. Yeah, um, but this is what I'm saying, you know, and, and hopefully the process that I've been through, I'd like to shed some like positive light on it, you know, which is lessons will learn, and and if I can pass that on to the, the next you know, young founder who's raising some capital who might not have the, the resources or the money to, to get the correct legal advice. I could just maybe point him, look out for this, 
Look out for Dragon Tag. Look out for these points. Three it, things then. Yeah. Three things. I'm 18 years old. Yeah. I'm Luke. I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah. I'm wanting to start a business. Correct accountant that can give you the correct advice. Okay, so that's number one. Correct lawyer. Right. Okay. In fact, no, number one would be a co-founder. Because the that sh- you'll know with Dom, hell, yeah. if you have someone who can share that burden, someone it, 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 I didn't even think about that. It's ridiculous. Point. Like a co-founder, someone who you can you're in the pub with, things are down. What because no one it's such a lonely no place. Stands. It is such a lonely place. And if I have a co-founder, I can go. What about this? What about this? It's not on a non other than it is real context. So even me and you now, we can talk about our, our issues and our challenges, and there might be the same issue, but in different context. Mm-hmm. So the advice that I give you might work for Vibe, but mm-hmm. it, might, it might not work for Social Chat, and vice mm-hmm. versa, you know. And, and it then becomes familiarized um, advice. So your text to me was brilliant, mm-hmm. but in context, it, it wasn't, if that makes sense. Sure. Which is, Luke, well, that's really hard, Steve, when people are writing about me, you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like, but what you're saying is right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think having a co-founder to share that responsibility, to, because it's sanity as well, mm-hmm. which is what I think it would be even 20 times harder if you was the only founder and you've no one to bounce that off. Yeah. So first of all... You can get sucked into the bullshit. That can become your your uh, your what's it, your reference point. Whereas, I see that really bad. Like yeah. I, I see founders coming to me going, look, I've actually got this. It's worth, you know, we're, we're touching a million now in revenue. What's the next step? And I said, go and find a co-founder. Like, mm. even we're three years in, I don't care. Mm. Like, go and find the guy that you can share. Yeah. But he's worth 5%, yeah, yeah. 10%, 20% equity. Yeah. Believe me, in the long run. Like, go and find that guy. Go and find yeah. that girl. You know, and, um, and and also, co-founders need to understand what they're getting into as well, which is so many people talk about their co-founder, and the co-founders have no value. No value whatsoever. And and, and that's, that's another thing that's interesting. We were having a conversation before this, and, you know, that does happen. So, yeah, get a co-founder. Get the right documents in place from a legal point of view, even between you and your co-founder. Mm-hmm. It's like going into a relationship and, and having a mortgage or whatever it is. It's like set the foundations right from day one Just because the only purpose of a contract is for when things go wrong mm-hmm. and shit will go wrong. And the it's crazy thing start. is, especially when you're young, you, 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 a, you just, you're so eager to just give it a fucking go that you don't want to spend so much. You just want to get the fucking money in and the, and the thing put in the drawer and the contract signed and you think... From here on in, we're just going to build a billion-dollar company. I'm going to retire with, with a fucking jet. Everything's going to be fine. We're never even going to need to look at that contract again. But I, I'm yet to run a business. I'm yet to run a business. I've probably raised investment in some way, maybe 13 times. And the contract, every single raise, I've looked at it and thought, oh, God, I wish I'd done something different. Yeah, exactly. Especially the first couple. The first investment, I thought, fuck, I fucked myself. Insane, isn't it? Yeah, Second one, I thought, I fucked myself again. Like when this all came to I looked at it, I was like, Luke, Just you record, signed my that. current investors are amazing. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. But I mean, I looked at these, I was like, Luke, you signed that. That's yeah. mad. Like, seriously. But you didn't know better. No, no, but this, this is what I'm trying to say. And people, this is what the press could have run. Yeah. This, this press could have, look, this has happened. Luke's come through it. He's managed the process. Let's put that behind That's us. not a story. No, I, I know. But no one's getting clicks for that. Yeah, exactly. Luke's come through it. He's managed the process. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's Richard Branson's favourites gone under. It's just, it's not, doesn't make it right. And this is why I don't take it all so personally. Um, and uh, I, I know those same people that are going to fucking tear me down are the ones that are going to build me up, you know? I so become- how, how, how are you going, like, for, for those listeners, how are you going about mitigating that? You know, are you going into every situation, analysing, or are you just going, fuck it, why not, like, you know, to a certain extent? Um, are you going, do you know what, is this a correct use of my time? Is this correct for what I'm trying to get across? And uh, could this be misconstrued? How, give, me, give me a more specific example. So, like- so, you, talk, so you get invited on to go on to TV. Mm. At what, how do you value that? 
So uh, how do I make the decisions? Yes. So been asked to go on loads of TV shows. If you if you ask my team or you ask um, anyone in the company, we've been MTV have asked me to go on a show called um, How I Got Rich, and I look at the, what they want me to do, and it's you go on a helicopter, show your Rolexes. No, fuck you. Yeah. Um, I probably had that exact offer with the title change 10 times. No, fuck you. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, I'm looking for things that will bring value in some respect to things I care about. There's two things that, I Do you not think about. there's a responsibility? As, it's not who as, I am. As the next, exactly. There's a responsibility yeah. if, if people are following you and following your brand expect something. And for you to go and do that is... Here's what, here's what I don't want to do. 18-year-old Steve Bartlett wrote in his diary, I want to be a millionaire before I'm 25. I want a Range Rover to be my first car. I want to work on my body image. And the fourth one was I want to have a long-term girlfriend. Long story. <laughs> I did all four of, those, four of those things. But upon doing those things, I realized that those weren't the things that are going to give me happiness and fulfillment. So at that point, when I was 25 years old and I looked at my diary... But how do you explain that to an 18-year-old? So this is, what I, this is what I mean. Like, So I get there. I realize that money and stuff aren't going to do it for me. And I look back down the age ladder, let's call it, and I see 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds, they're looking at footballers and they're looking at all these things. I don't want those fuckers to make the same mistake I did. Do you think that's an influencer so I don't. I, I talk about. I talk about on every channel on this podcast, every single fucking episode, about how um, stop thinking that something is. It's smoke and mirrors. Y- yeah. Stop. Stop chasing after pleasure, thinking it's happiness. Yeah. Because there's this thing called the hedonistic uh, treadmill, which is when you chase the Lamborghini, you get a Lamborghini. I've sat at my friends' Lamborghinis a week later. They don't like their Lamborghinis anymore because you adapt, and then you're looking. For and the they next probably thing. sold things like their name and morals to to get it as quick yeah. as possible. And so my thing is, I'm never going to get there. Ever. I'm never going to get to this place. It's not a destination, is There's it? There's no... So, yeah. so I have to create a life um, where I'm already there in yeah. every sense of the word. I've got enough now. I'm happy enough now. If I died today, I've done enough. I've been nice. And all those things. So I'm sto- I've stopped pinning my fulfillment on a future extrinsic goal of getting something or achieving something. And I've, I've built my life to where... I want it to be sustainable now. I want to speak to my mum more. I want to give to charity now. I'm not trying to cut down the rainforest and then donate to the fucking the, the rainforest. I'm going to build a business which within the rainforest that helps the rainforest, you know? So it's just a change in my perspective and I share that perspective. I don't share my car with, I don't share what I'm, you know, I don't share how I travel or the the nicer things. I try not to share the extravagant things because I don't want to trick anyone into thinking that matters. Yeah. It's a journey I've been on. It's an interesting thing I wanted to ask you as well is, what's your um, what's your relationship? I probably tainted this answer, but what's your relationship and motives when it comes to money? What do you want, to, what do you want from money? Security. So I think one thing that I've craved um, throughout my life is security, you know, knowing that I can look after my mum. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's it. As long as there's a level of security, I think, looking after my family, I think, you know, and not just security, but even down to my day-to-day decisions. And you know, I'm in a long-term relationship. Uh, I've got a stable relationship, mm-hmm. and that's something that I've craved from a young age. Which is, you know, I was the old, you know, eldest. I was looking after my brothers and sisters. I was trying to add stability ever since I was young. I was the one, you know, trying to su- support my mum through tough times. So I think that stability is 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 a massive thing for me because, I, as an entrepreneur, to want stability is quite insane because even as we operate, stability mm, isn't stable. the best for it. Yeah, exactly. So. My life, in terms of vibe, in terms of how I approach things, is so unprocessed. It's you know, to a certain extent, it's like the creative mind. Chaos. And then I go home, and Luke Massey at home is stable. You know, craves that thing. I go home. I still you know look, go and see my mum frequently. Do the the food shop with her. That sort of thing. And that I think is how 
I've been able to sort of stay you know, grounded to a certain mm-hmm. extent. Not that I've gone on and achieved things that I want to yet, but mm-hmm. I think it just puts perspective on things. I still go into you know, the Ingle Labour Club in Preston where it's £2 a pint and people mm-hmm. playing darts, people playing pool. That, that's Friday night, you know, and that, that's... Because that's, that's where I'm from, you know. You talked about um, going home uh, to your partner. Yep. Are you, what's the deal? That she's your girlfriend? Yes, so uh, Frankie, I've been with Frankie since I was 20 years old. Um, Christ. You know, really good girl. Again, <laughs> brought stability. She, you know, she's got her own business. Her life is, is busy as well. She's got her own beauty salon. Does she understand? Yes, I think she understands the... Does she understand? <laughs> I don't know. I think she she understands business, <laughs> so business to work. Yeah, you know, it's, t- it's, it's tough. Much, it is tough. It's funny. Is I ask... She'll come to me with her problems. I'm like, that is your problem. <laughs> like, let me explain the real problem. Uh, but... It's so funny. Every time I ask that question to an entrepreneur, it's the exact same response. I say, you got a partner. Does she understand? They go, yeah, she... And I go, does she understand? Yeah. They go, oh, no, she fucking doesn't. <laughs> it's... No, it's, no, she, she, she's, she's, she's really and smart. Do she's doing all, yeah, yeah, I'm, she I'm trying to, thing. She's going to listen to this. So no, like, she's, like, yeah. no, but, no, but like my, so I'll just kind of, because you know, I ain't got, I got, I got, anyone's going home. To if right anyone's now, listening to this and single, just ask Steve. <laughs> quick. So my thing is, I, I have got to understand that they'll never really understand and I will cause immense friction trying <laughs> that, to get that them is a to tweet understand. Right there. That's a tweet. Like I, I, in my past relationships, I've caused such immense friction by trying to get them to understand this thing that I can't even use words to explain. Yeah, yeah. I can say it's really fucking hard. You don't know what's hard. You're using your reference point of what hard means to you. That's you the thing. You go, no back to, you go back home and tease on the table and it's like, how's your day? And it's like... <laughs> Do I even bother? What, what do you mean? Yeah, what do I even like, bother telling how you? How do I explain that? You know, it's yeah, it is insane. But at the same it's, time, if I was to ask, and I do, what's your problems? It's like, well, this girl came in and wasn't happy with this, or what? You know, it's mm-hmm. I can't even relate to that. It's I'm a like, relative. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know, for me, it's um, yeah, it's that stability, and it's you know, without getting the, the violin or anything. But when I was growing up, I never had a proper like Christmas that mm-hmm. you know, like everyone was around the table. And then, you know, I found this girl and I'd go around to her house and that was the family, mm-hmm. you know, and I felt myself, well, this this is what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, they say behind every great man is a great, you know, woman or they say behind every great woman I'm is sure, a great man. I'm, I'm sure. So. You know, it's, it's one of those, it's the end of the day, it, it, I think it works for me. Stability, you know, at home, uh, in home life. I think then it gives you that rock. So when you are going through these turbulent times, mm-hmm. you've got that other person that's going, yeah, but Luke, so what? You know, it's mm-hmm. like, and then you, it's like you've said, you've got to then live in the moment and reflect and go, do you know what? Look where I actually am. Mm-hmm. This is what, you know, what's the worst that can happen? I go back to living in a council estate. I've come from that. Yeah. That's fine. We'll go back there. My mate's still there. It's, it's, it's mm-hmm. not a problem. You know, you're not scared of the bottom because you're, you're cool there. That's what I'm saying. It's like, mm-hmm. just, you know, just go for it sort of thing. But um, I noticed in your bio, it says giving it a real go. That's all I'm doing. Yeah. Like people said to me, oh, that is all I'm doing. And, I might fail and fine, but I tell you what, I'm going to just keep learning, keep giving it a go. Why? Why, why is it worth trying? Why don't you just go get a job at, you know, at somewhere nice and comfy with no fucking stress? You can clock off at six. You can just chill out, you know. You'll know how much money's coming in. You don't have to fucking worry about any bank balances or anything. Nice, cushy life. You'll go and go holidays every, you know, every quarter. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of my friends in stable jobs and stable relationships have that, and I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that because I don't think everyone is no, but born to do this. Mm-hmm. For me, I think it's, um, again, I, I, all I've ever done in my life is ask why. Mm-hmm. And I think what I'd do if I did that is I'd be asking myself every single morning, why? Mm-hmm. Why am I going and doing this? And I'd then probably get to the answer, which is it's giving me money. 
or it's allowing me to go on that holiday. So then I'd say to myself, well, how could I do that anywhere by doing something I wanted? Mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd always keep coming around back at that same question. It'd probably come back to freedom, being able to live life on my own terms. Mm-hmm. You know, however I do things might not be the right way, but I'm going to give it a go in, in Luke Massey's way. But think about this, Luke, you know, all this fucking pain, all this stress, all this bullshit. You're asking me a question that point? you don't know the answer to. So no, I know, we, the, we can, answer. We, we, I know the answer to it. You though. do know the answer to it. So I know like why I, I tolerate all the bullshit. So why do you tolerate bullshit? Because there is no other fucking version of Steve Bartlett. There is no other, there's no other version. So it's, it's not for me. It's not even a choice. It's, I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying, and, I, and also... Yeah, you could ask a guy who's thing. in a stable job on 70k, and that's all his... It's all about alternatives, So it's all about alternatives. Would I rather be in a cushy middle ground somewhere, earning stable checks and just, you know, coasting through life, you know, not really challenging myself, or would I rather... Um, take the risk and go for it. I'm someone that is so deeply connected to my own mortality. Like the way that the the big, one of the big things I say to um, people when they're trying to figure out how they should live their lives, right? Is, you know, there's an expression, live every day as as if it's your last. Bullshit. Do not do that. That's fucking terrible advice. If you lived every day as if it was your last, you would definitely have an addiction. What if this was an hourglass, this can of whatever it is here, and I put it on your desk, right? And it, and it, Pour down how many days you had left. 40 days, right? Would you be, ask yourself this. Would you A, be holding the grudges you had right now? Would you B, be doing the thing you do every day when you wake up at seven o'clock in the morning and leave at seven o'clock at night? If you could see the sand pouring out of the hourglass into the bottom and you say it had 50 years, I think people would live a completely different life. I think they would take more risks. I think they would forgive easier. This is why I was talking about forgiving that guy. Do you think people are scared, though? Do you think people are scared of, right, well, I've got this, this is my comfort zone. Here's the great thing. This is the great thing with the hourglass. It tells you where you're going to end up regardless. You're going to die. Like, it's the real, it's the the great thing. This is reality, deal with it. Like, no matter what, so what's the, 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 the thing to be most scared of, I think, in probably life is death right so people are oh, scared that they might not be able to pay the bill you're gonna die that's the the, the yeah, most the scariest thing is going to happen yeah and steve jobs he was he really inspired me with his commencement speech where he said like you're already naked and understanding that i'm gonna die has given me all of the fearlessness to go for it regardless all of these fuckers writing about you they're gonna die too yeah they're all gonna be fucking forgotten every and and also one of the things that's really liberated me is really believing that i'm really not special that I'm insignificant to the world, I don't matter, and therefore all of my problems and my shit doesn't really matter anyway. It's a game. I've got this hourglass on my desk. The sand is pouring. I'm just going to use my time as yeah, however I want. I'm going to forgive people. I'm not going to do petty things. I'm not going to worry about what people think about my hair. If they want to talk shit about me on my deathbed, and this is like what I call deathbed thinking, which is a book I've been talking about a lot, is um, am I going to care about Jenny that doesn't know me tweeting me, telling me I'm a fucking idiot, which happens Ten, probably 10 times a day. I'm not going to care about that. I'm going to care about my mum and what I did and how good I was. And so trying to live my life now as if, you know, I'm on my deathbed and the hourglass is um, ticking away has given me, why the fuck would I go do that call centre job I did for, for 12 hours a day um, if the hourglass was there? Yeah. Making money for, to pay the bills for me has never been, never made any sense. Well, I think that's what I mean by the why, isn't it? It's like questioning it, that why. Imagine just paying the bills till you die. Well, that happens, doesn't it? Like that does. And people, and, are cool, not, you know, what I mean? and people are cool with that, and that's the thing. They're cool with that. By the Steve, way, there's nothing wrong with people in. No, <laughs> listen. There is the the thing that it's wrong for everybody to do is do some shit for the rest of your life where you tolerate some stuff you hate. Definitely, I can't, that is, can't agree more. If with you that. love being a fucking school teacher, love it, amazing. Live it, you are yeah. you are more successful than. Well, that that, that scenario is, if he wasn't being paid for this, would you still do it? 
100%. That's the question I 100%. ask people. If I you did were... it for two years without being paid. Exactly. I was a kid in Mossside, like trying to build a business, shoplifting food, like trying to, you know, um, and the money hasn't, hasn't impacted me in any way. No, it's um, good to see. It is good to see. And I think there's a, there's a lot of people that follow you um, and uh, are influenced by you. And, mm-hmm. you know, not just because I'm sat here, but I think you are someone that people should listen to and, and be influenced by the correct influence. You know, Love Island starts next week and people are influenced by the wrong things, mm. um, definitely. And I think you're in that position mm. now where you are paying back, even this podcast, I think, you, you know, you, you, you're spending your time now, I'm spending my time now trying to, to give back. And I think that's 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 important. And the journeys that I've, I've been on, even the last six months, I think it's really important because if you can just help that one person, um, you know, you were telling me about another business that you've been involved in and it, it was someone that was actually part of your competition. Yeah, I mean, that's just insane. You know, that. I want to take it back to that thing you said. That, so you said, um, you know, why don't you just go get like the middle ground, you know, whatever, something, you know, that's comfortable. Why doesn't Luke Massey go do the comfortable thing? I don't know. I, I'm trying to find it. I, it sounds to me like you've had a lot of time to think about this because you've probably been asked it a lot more than me. This is the first time I've been asked it and I, I probably don't really have the the straight answer to it. I think for me, it's... What is making Luke Massey... What's driving him? What's driving him? I'm talking in third person here. But like, what's... Oh, this is another hard question. I don't know. I, I don't know. I think what was driving me to get up and do the milk round when I was 13 years old? Mm-hmm. What, you know, I, I don't know. I think for me, it's... <sighs> settling or thinking that you're there or... I don't know. It, it's such a tough one. I think for me, it's just an internal drive and... What do you want your life to look like? Say in 10 years' time, what does your... No, so let's say 20 years' time, what does your life look like? I can't see it. You can't see it? That's what probably scares me. That's probably mm-hmm. what drives me. Right. And it's not that enough is enough for me. It's that because I've st- craved stability all my life, mm-hmm. it's probably getting to that place where even if this failed or even if this failed, everything would be fine. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know whether I'll ever get to that stage like you're saying and, mm-hmm. and maybe you're a year ahead on that. Do you know what I think as well? I think because... Um, because I think we're still both learning. You know, you're yeah, learning. You know, I'm, I'm learning. It's we're, we're both at, we're on this cycle, and this is the thing. And um, you know, it's our duty to, to pass it on, just as we're getting passed you know on. What information. I think it is. This is my observation from like this conversation. Um, I think you're right in the sense that uh, I've gone a little bit further down the cycle because of the the types of d- issues I'm dealing with. So I'm, you're like, you're dealing, as you said, you spent the last how many months dealing with like investor stuff. Yeah. Like I've, I'm spending less of my time dealing with that kind of thing. And when you're dealing with investor stuff, like raising, it's every waking hour of the day and it's urgent and it's so important. So you don't have the headspace to think a little yeah, bit no, longer. Agreed. And I, I think I need to put, you know, fast forward a couple months, I've got some key staff coming into business. For me, it's just stepping back operationally, even if it's just for getting you know the head out of the clouds and just mm. seeing things from a different perspective i think will, will help things and i think that's what it is so i think i just had because there's managing directors running the business i think i've had a lot of thinking time and i remember key moments when um one real moment which made me think about why the fuck i'm doing what i do every day was that when we got a real offer to buy the business from uh, a very big media company like there's a billion dollar probably a hundred billion dollar media company and i went home that night um, as a 24-year-old, and I thought, okay, so if I sell and I accept this offer, then what do I do? Yeah. And that was the moment where you start to really realize, like, what would the money do for me versus taking this purpose from me? And then um, really, you know, thinking, what would I do tomorrow? Would I start another business? Do I could just spend the money? Um, would Do I want more money? realizing that you know like the the motive for me to get loads more money really isn't the thing so why am i doing it then because mm. 18 year old steve when he started and he wrote it in his diary it was all money okay so last question 
um, dinner table. There are six seats. You're sitting in one of them. I'm sitting in the other. I get to cook. There are four other seats. Dead or alive, you can invite anybody to this dinner party. Who do you invite to the table and why? You were these questions. Um, Who are the first people that popped to mind? Mum. Your mum. Fine, nice. Even if she won't understand it. It's really interesting that you'd bring her. It says a lot about you as well. I think even though she won't understand it or that there's other people, even if there was the most famous guy in the world there, but um, yeah, my mum. On that, I'm going to dive slightly there. So your mum has been this incredibly important influence in your life, as you've explained, and everything you've said has kind of touched back to that. In those, in those tough moments where people are talking shit, and you know that they're, and you know from your mum's perspective, those are people talking shit about her son. Is that one of the things that really gets to you the most? No, because I, I protect her from it. She, she wouldn't even know. She, no, she doesn't see that. I mean, my mum doesn't, doesn't have. Uh, because she Wi-Fi on. Yeah, my my girlfriend sees it. I think, but she, she knows the truth. Yeah, and she's extremely supportive, and and she knows that I'm. My actions have always said who I am. So she so, knows. She, yeah, she exactly. And and how I go about things day to day, how I support things. How, you know, anyone who knows me, mm-hmm. even without seeing those headlines, sent me a message because knows, they yeah. know me as a character. You know, they know whatever's going on. Luke don't really know, need to know the detail. It'll be cool. Yeah. You know, that's the sort they of thing. Know you, yeah. yeah, they know me, and it's. So, yeah, I think it's becoming hard into it and just, you know, distancing yourself. But from my mum's point of view, she she doesn't understand what I do. And, Same. you know, my mum my is, you know, she's, she's an alcoholic. She's, you know, yeah. she, she, she's in that she's in that place where it's, I'm just a son and it doesn't matter what happens, I'm still mm-hmm. a son. And I think she, she's, she, you know, she's she's happy for me. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's about, about protecting her and, um, and knowing that, she, I think my mum blames a lot of things that have happened in our life down to her, um, especially external circumstances. Um, Is she hard on herself? Well, yeah, and I think that was, you know, one of the reasons for turning to alcohol. Um, that was her sort of probably escape and, and still is to a certain extent. But and have you dealt with that your whole life? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. So Your whole life? My, yeah, my whole life. So it's... For me, it's... Um, so when I was younger, I was very um, aggressive towards it. You know, you could probably tell it my character. I was confused I was didn't understand why I didn't you know and I would come home and one day you'd get my mum who was up and the house was clean and then some days you'd get my mum's been in bed for three days because she's depressed and she can't face the world and I just mm-hmm. couldn't understand it because mm-hmm. I didn't suffer from depression and mm-hmm. I don't suffer from depression um you know so there was confusion anger as a young lad you're still trying to figure yourself out you're going through puberty you're growing up etc and there was there was all this and and then um and, and also it which is worth pointing out is you, you love seeing my my personal brand and personal message. When I was 17, 18, 19, and I was you know trying to start this object, you know you'd see me in shirts and ties and suits, and because I was trying to portray this picture, mm. thinking that I was this you know this like, and it actually got to a stage where I started thinking, do you know what? Why? What am I hiding from here? Why mm. am I embarrassed? Mm-hmm. This is it, and it's probably a massive part of my story, and you know it's what drives me. It's who I am. So why hide from it? And it started becoming real then and you know the tie then came off and then the shirt came off and then, you know and, it, and now I'm just cool within myself and you talked about depression there yes and you said um so we live in a world where de- depression anxiety all these things are both the awareness of them are increasing but the data says that they're increasing as well yeah and in founders and young founders like myself and you we go through so much bullshit yeah right so much and also anxiety. one of our biggest things is um, we take on the responsibility of everything that mm-hmm. goes on. So 
I'm talking there about protecting my mum from things. Mm-hmm. I, I make sure I go out of my way to, to make sure that she doesn't hear the bad sure. things because that would hurt. But you do it for your staff. Mm-hmm. You do it for... You're the umbrella of everything. You are everything. So, you know, and, and yes, sometimes you're in the press and you're in the limelight and it seems like you're the, you're the front man. But guess what? That is the tip of the iceberg. And you're dealing with that. You're dealing with it. No, but you're you're dealing with it twenty four seven. Every when you you know, uh, but everyone's doing it. Everyone's got their own battles. Yeah, but your battles are unique, right? Yeah, and they're proportionally bigger. Same as I'm talking about myself as well when I say this, but they're proportionally bigger than you know, wondering, worrying about what Jenny said about your hair at work. Like, um, and you know, after this conversation, when you look at your phone or your emails. There'll probably be some bullshit there yeah. for you to deal with. You know, there's almost. I always used to have this kind of like email anxiety, especially in my, when I was yeah, in the tech yeah. business. Yeah, you wake up in the morning, you don't want to see your email. You don't want to see your email because yeah, you know exactly. you're fresh. That there's going to be some fucking bad news because every day there is, right? Um, going back to the point about mental health, have you suffered with anything? Um, oh, one thing I would say is I'm probably cold in terms of some some relationships. Emotionally, so, like, emotionally, because. Something bad's coming. Something mm-hmm. bad's going to happen. So you, you even from a young age, you become a heart. So you know when my mum had you know serious depression when mm-hmm. I was younger, and you know even child service agency nearly came in at one point. Mm-hmm. It was that bad. Is right. that I protected my brother and sisters, mm-hmm. so I made sure that they knew they were loved and things were fine. And mum's just going for a bad time. So that then, but you know, was straight away from an early age. And you know, as I said, I think then every challenge you go through, then it's it just toughens you up and toughens the toughening you up, toughen- up thing. Though I mean, that's like conducive with. This is, I'm asking this because I'm interested for me, right? So I used to think, you know, I, I'm tough, I'll get, I'm hard. And you hear these stats about men and, you know, male suicide and these kinds of things. And you think, Steve, maybe, maybe you're not super fucking Superman. Yeah. Maybe you too are uh, susceptible to these things. And when I, I think from the age of 18 to 24, building my business, I thought, no, I could never get anything. I could, nothing, no mental health issues could ever touch me. Now I've changed my mind. Yeah. Now I think after reading so many books, I'm like, we're probably I the need most to take vulnerable. care of myself. Yeah, we're probably the most vulnerable when you think about it. You, want, you know, we are. Because we, and we also convince ourselves that we are um, immune and we, just, we close down. We don't share as much on the emotional side because we have teams. And if you were to ask Frankie, my partner, she'd probably say that that is the number one issue that she has with me, mm. which is I don't tell my problems. And then she'll, she'll see it and it's like, what? Yeah. Like, you've been going through that. And it's mm. like, well, yeah, but... I it's not your issue, you know, my it's my girlfriend issue. turned around to me and she said in the car, I fucking wrote, I mean, like a ton of it. She went, are you depressed? <laughs> and I wasn't. I get, are you bipolar? Because one minute I'm buzzing, I've just done, you know, done yeah. day on fine. The next minute my world's you, changed. You're just, it's you're like, a million miles away sat next to somebody. Exactly. And yes, yeah. Um, but that's interesting. I think it's just one of the things that I'm really, again, this is being a little bit, a little bit further down the path is I'm really focusing on taking care of myself because I now believe... So how do you do that mentally? So there's a number of things. So there's a book I've got to recommend, which I read this week called Lost Connections. And it's all about um, debunking the idea that mental health issues are anything to do with a chemical imbalance. And it's not um, what's wrong with you. It's what's happened to you. And the, the, it goes through all of these Just major more studies. environmental rather than natural. Yeah. yeah. And, and it, show, it goes through all these ma- major studies that prove this. Even, so it goes through everything from like nature, right? Nature and us as animals being creatures of a certain environment. They show a study where prisoners who face out onto green grass are twen- uh, 25% less likely to get depressed than prisoners that face out onto concrete. That's one thing, right? Then there's other things like your 
Um, we're social animals. We're tribe animals. That's how we evolved and survived today. So we've got incredibly lonely in this connected world to the point now where the average American, when they're asked, how many people have you got that you could really count on if you needed to and like depend on and talk to in those moments? The, the most popular answer now is zero. 15 years ago, it was three. We're becoming more and more isolated in this like crazy connected world. They show all these studies. They show that um, people who have close friends and family and talk to them and socialize are um, significantly, significantly less likely to so, become depressed. So, I, so I've got a question for you then, which is, you know, if you don't mind me saying, 100%. off the record, prior to this sort of podcast, it was, you know, you were saying to me that you've got very, very few friends very and few you, friends, you, yeah. you're extremely busy, etc. And you so said, lonely. you haven't got, yeah, exactly. And you sort of said to yourself, you know, you even said to me and admitted, I feel like I'm a bit of a social recluse. Now, mm-hmm. you read this book and one that's of the things is that, we're, you know, we're a tribal and we're, we're socialising. Do you think that that's what you need to do? Do you think you need to let people let a few more and people romantic, into your circles? The romantic relationships bit is exactly linked to that. So I 100% do. I, and this is why, and it doesn't come You'll naturally to You'll have to come to, to Preston, honestly. You'll find a good girl in Preston. <laughs> it doesn't come naturally to me, right? So what I want to do, naturally, is go home tonight and go on my laptop. What, because I've really... that's comfort zone, that's not what you're doing. I think I'm good alone. I Depends think, what you're searching at. You know? Half 11 at night, I don't know. <laughs> It'll be my emails, I promise <laughs> you. Um, but what I've done tonight is I messaged my friend, I said, listen, I'm doing this podcast, and then let's go for a drink. He, I don't want to do it. <laughs> no, he knows that. He, yeah. I've called him, I told him on the phone. I was like, I don't want to fuck, I'm, I don't want to go see friends. He, he knows I don't want to fucking do it. He knows I'm doing it because I now believe that I should do these things. It's better for my mental health. It's better for my... Um, business, therefore, it makes it's going to make me a much happier person in the long term. I believe in it, so I'm doing things because I believe in them, not because they're habit. Let's say. Um, back to this table. <laughs> but yeah, so back to this table. Um, Elon Musk's got to be on there for me. Yeah, as just as well. just a, a guy that is is just challenging everything. You know, he he he's a, he is for me the entrepreneur disruptor. He is. Yeah, he's something's not right. I'm going to do something about it, yeah. I, and, and that's it. And you know what? He might not get him, get them all right, but. Do you know what? It's, and, and you know what he's actually done? He's taken the blueprint of what Richard Branson did, and he's made it better. Flo- you know, putting that car up into space, doing whatever he's done with have He's just taken what's already existed and done it better. That's My thing him. with Richard Branson, uh, sorry, Elon. The reason why I love him is because he was willing to spend all of his billions from PayPal on fucking electric again. cars and space travel. Backing Things himself that again. That's what it are is. Bigger than him. He's not trying to make money. This guy yeah. is trying to change the world. Exactly. He's not an entrepreneur. He wants to build a legacy. That is trying to. Get up here. He doesn't give a. F- he wants to change the world. That's his number one, like, agenda yeah. point. I can't say that. Yeah. If I'm being honest with myself, I'm not. My, but, but my the reason is- why he's in that position is because he's 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 bought himself that time and mm. that position. You know, he's bought but himself he's, that respect. That's why I consider him great. Yeah, and exactly. My one, because that's motive. what money gives you is that choice. So if you if you if you can get social chain and social uh, you know uh, group to where you think it can, and I can get vibe where I think it can be. Will them be in position in five, ten years' time where we can do things that we want to do and mm. our agenda can change? So, you know, again, he's, he's got to be on the top of the uh, list for admirers, you know, cool. as an entrepreneur. So, my mum, Elon Musk, you, you're on the table. Are you on the table, yeah, man? You're I'm not already, on the table. I'm, I'm cooking already, so I'm. Right, already. you're cooking. Okay. Um, uh, Let's go for music, something in music, maybe, or like. Music. Got to be Kanye West. Kanye, Kanye, Kanye West. Because he's just. We're not going to get to eat anything. Yeah, exactly. Not talking. Yeah, he's just outside thinker, um, rightly or wrongly. I love him, but I do think he's a bit of a false. Prophet. No, that's what I'm saying. Rightly or wrongly, I think he's a he's, genius, and he is a genius. Idiot. Yeah, and well, they said, aren't they, like you know, um, about genius and insanity that they're, that they're so close together, and I, I think he is 
on 100%. there. But if you add Elon Musk, Kanye West, your mum, my mum, wow, that is insane. Um, Last one, one uh, Stephen Hawking. Interesting. Stephen Hawking, definitely. He he left his mark on the world. Um, there was a few funny jokes, obviously, when he passed away. But yeah, he's he, he's a genius. I mean, I, I've watched his films, uh, the t- the two different mm-hmm. ones. You know, the guy was a bit of a player back in the day. He had yeah, know, like yeah. six or seven different... And he was a geek. You know, and he, well. Yeah, he was the original guy, weren't he? So, yeah, Stephen Hawkins, Elon Musk, Kanye West, and my mum. How do you want to be remembered? I've just stole that from the true Jordy. It's going to be so mad. How do I want to be remembered? Um, as a guy that had morals... Um, no, as a guy that had beliefs... And, and stayed true to it, whether it was right or wrong. And okay. you, I want people to know when I've had a discussion with him or they've met me is that everything I've said there and then is actually what he believes. Mm-hmm. You might not agree with it, and that's cool. I am cool with that, but you know where you stand with Luke Massey. You know he's honestly speaking from the heart, and he's he's not got an agenda. He's not. That's who he is, you know. And I'll give the right feedback at the right time, and you know, it's not. Per- it's just if you're asking me for something, I'll give it you. And you know, honesty. And that's why I think, because of what's been said in the podcast, that's why I'm so close to the heart, so passionate about it. Um, so, yeah, I think just being a man of his word. Amazing. And on that point, um, thank you so much for the time. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Pretty late now. What time is it? Super late at night. 11 o'clock. So, um, better go get some food. But thank you so much for coming on. And no people problem. can find you on Twitter and everywhere, under Luke Massey, everywhere. Yeah. Um, and obviously, they can find Vibe tickets everywhere. So, it's been a real pleasure and um, I'm sure we'll uh, continue these discussions off, off the mic. So thanks, Agreed. Man. Thanks, Steve. You are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud, so you can access it from anywhere. And the cost of managing and running multiple systems, because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky, and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode. You are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud, so you can access it from anywhere. And the cost of managing and running multiple systems, because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky, and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks, so head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode.